Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Um, so um, Fresh and I are, are going to talk tonight about belonging. Um, I was talking with James Baraz some months ago um, after a day long, actually, that Fresh and I were both part of teaching up at Spirit Rock um, back in November for the Transgender Day of, uh, of Remembrance. Um, we did the first ever day long for, um, for transgender folks and genderqueer, non-binary, anyone who identifies on the spectrum of, um, of the, what we also call the gender adventure. Um, which is like, you know, a whole, uh, more than a spectrum. It's a whole, you know, set of, um, right, uh, there's just, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Anyway, um, so this is the first time at Spirit Rock that there had ever been, uh, you know, a program specifically for transgender folks. And I, um, for myself, I, I identify as transgender. Um, I have practiced a lot at Spirit Rock. I added it all up, and I think I have spent a cumulative total of five months <laughs> at Spirit Rock and um, over 15 years. Um, and uh, so it was interesting, you know, um, I was really excited about it, and but I didn't really expect just that morning as we were, you know, we'd gotten there early, and we were getting all set up, and every, is everything in place? And then people started to arrive come up the stairs because we were upstairs and um, I almost burst into tears. I was like, I realized it was the first time I'd been at Spirit Rock and had more than one or two people who I thought of, you know, people like me. Um, And it was really, it was like, even though, um, you know, certainly I was aware when I was on a retreat or other things that I'm feeling um, maybe like I don't belong or like I'm not seeing many people like myself, it was really strikingly powerful to be there and all of a sudden be surrounded by, um, by people like myself, people who I really felt um, mirrored by. So it, was, it really was a very striking experience and um, has given me just it's, I've been sort of like thinking a lot on this topic. So that is what we are going to both explore tonight. And I just also wanted to mention, because I don't know if you often have people come and talk in teams. It's something that we do a lot at, at East Bay Meditation Center. It's a part of also often creating a very diverse set of teachers. And um, so it's uh, something, and it's something I, I really love personally, because I feel like we have a little bit more of a, Dharma discussion, even you know, just between the two, uh, two of us teaching. So, um, you know, I invited Fresh to join me because I thought that would make it more fun for me, <laughs> and probably more fun for you too. Um, so, um, I'm going to share just some reflections around the topic of belonging, and then hand it over to Fresh, who's going to share also share um, his thoughts, and then we'll have a little time at the end to break into small groups and have a little discussion and then come back together and, um, and hear how that went 
And then we'll finish up, as Ernie mentioned, with the dedication of merit. Um, so, uh, you know, just um, touching into how belonging connects for me with the Dharma. I, um, it, for me, there's a, you know, I think a lot and practice a lot with taking the refuges, you know, just as we chanted tonight as we were getting started. Um, the really taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha has been, you know, a huge part of my ongoing practice and something that for periods of time I've done every time I sit sometimes, certainly do it every time I go on retreat. And um, it's been something that's evolved for me over time. And um, right now I, you know, I'm also... uh, you know, found, like, how do I really personalize those refuges? And um, and for me, they kind of translated a little bit to um, really taking refuge. When I think about taking refuge in the Buddha, I think about taking refuge in um, basic goodness, in the goodness I see in others and in myself. Um, uh, I have find, you know, I just... I, the historical Buddha is, you know, something I connect with in, in like, um, reading the texts and that, that kind of thing, but not as much of a, doesn't feel as much like a personal relationship. And so I've really come to relate to this piece of basic goodness and um, noticing it. Often I notice it in others and I notice it in Sangha, and then it allows it to mirror a little bit back to me, and I'll come back to that piece um, and then um, in terms of taking refuge in the Dharma, really, for me, is about taking refuge in practice, in my own practice and all of the support that I get there. And then in, um, um, really a big piece for me in the refuges is taking refuge in Sangha. And I think, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I've been practicing in the East Bay Meditation Center for 10 years, one of my teachers, who's also one of the founders there, Larry Yang, really talks about um, it being a spiritual home. And, you know, and what does it take for this to be your spiritual home? I can just sort of picture him sitting there in EBMC and saying this. You know, and what, you know, what do you need to receive from the Sangha and what do you need to give to the Sangha for that, really, for it to create that spiritual home? And, um, that idea, just that idea uh, that the Sangha could be my spiritual home. I think when I first heard it from Larry probably 10 years ago, I was like, what? Like, what are you even talking about? You know, because it was such a sort of an alien idea to me. Um, and uh, a lot of that is coming from a background um, I think now we're maybe a little too quiet. No, it's okay. All right. Um, uh, just to say a little bit about kind of where I come from, um, I I was born in the '60s. Um, I come from a mixed race family. My father's was sort of a um, Puerto Rican revolutionary. And moved out to the Bay Area. Mother was uh, um, and. Uh, had grown up in Minnesota, um, Scandinavian, um, 
and they met out here in the Bay Area. And so first of all, you know, I, I was born into a mixed family, um, into kind of two different cultures, and um, also it, at a time when things were really chaotic. <laughs> if you remember the sort of early 70s, um, it was just um, my family was something that was constantly changing. My parents split up. I had, I had other parent figures kind of coming and coming and going, and there were times when um, you know I might get left with the neighbors for a month or something like that. It was a very chaotic um, uh, time to be a kid in the kind of subculture I was in of this hippie subculture in the Bay Area. Lots of drugs, lots of crazy things happening. So I didn't have much of a sense of belonging from my family. Um, and uh, and then I, you know, I, I came out as a lesbian, as queer um, in the 80s, and it was a time when there was a lot, you know, kind of um, a lot happening in the community in terms of responding to AIDS and really building the community here in the Bay Area. And I saw, oh, there's a lot of community here, but I, I actually never really felt a part of it. And I think it took a long time to really understand that my my trans identity was was always, I was like, well, how can I be a lesbian if I don't really feel like a woman? You know, so I was part of a community but never felt part of it. Um, and uh, so it just was, you know, I was always kind of like a community of one. <laughs> um, that was often how I felt. And it's interesting, I was just reading this New York, in the New York Times, um, in the New York Times Magazine, this article, short article about Rod, Rodney Dangerfield, you know, the comedian, and I don't, I don't really know anything much about him other than, you know, seeing Caddyshack or whatever. Um, but the article was really saying that Rodney Dangerfield, because he was actually a truly terrible comedian, like when he got started, he started doing comedy in his 40s, and he was awful. He was just awful. And, um, but he really was, he really loved comedy, and he just kept at it, kept at it. And it wasn't until his 60s that he finally kind of, like, um, figured it out. And because he was so bad at comedy, he really broke it down. Like, he took, you know, 20, 25 years doing stand-up and just trying to figure out, like, how does the joke work? How does the build-up work? How does the punchline work? And he just studied it and studied it and studied it, and then he broke through to, um, you know, what some consider to be, like, a really, like, a, a, a sort of, you know, this argument was that he became, like, this truly great comedian because he was so bad at it, he really had to figure it out. So I've been sort of, like, I was really struck by that because I was like, oh, so this is, like, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, why was I put in this, you know, given this life of not feeling like I belong or not feeling like I have a home? And then I thought, well, maybe this is like, this is sort of the gift of I really get to figure this thing out. Like, get, get to figure out how belonging works. Um, so I've been sort of, like, noticing that, noticing um, noticing, like, when are there times when I start to feel some belonging? And I've just um, actually really come out as transgender in the last few years and more, more publicly only in the past year. And so I'm just starting to say, oh, maybe this is my community. Maybe I have a community here. And um, I recently, just a month or so ago, was on a 
uh, retreat, not a meditation retreat. And we did some meditation, but it was mostly a, like, go to the woods with trans folk retreat, um, which was awesome um, for the weekend. And just, like, I sort of set myself the, like, intention of really noticing, do I feel like I belong? What are the moments when I feel like I belong? And belonging is still such an alien thing. Like, you know, like I mentioned when I, you know, first heard this idea from Larry at the EBMC, this could be your spiritual home. You know, often I'm just like, what does that even mean? Um, but really noticing, like, oh, how is this working? And um, I'm someone who's also very introverted. And so often I'll be in some kind of situation where it's whether it's a social gathering or, you know, it's kind of like a, retreat with friends or whatever it might be and I'm just like always noticing myself off by myself and sort of beating myself up like what are you doing off you know hiking in the woods by yourself when you're on this thing with all these other people and it was really interesting to notice because I've just been noticing like what does it really take for me to show up to be part of a community or to be part of a group and noticing that oh often it takes me going away from it you know, like, so I was just noticing in this weekend, because, you know, it was just like, like, oh, let's start to notice the mechanics of this, that that's part of my showing up. And so I started to, like, flip that around. I'm like, Renee, you're doing a great job of going off and for a hike by yourself in the woods so that you can show up, you know, like trying to flip this around instead of making it be this thing that I don't know how to do, like I don't know how to show up and be with other people. No, I know how to do it. I have to go off by myself and really make sure I have the time I need by myself so that I can come back and be available to the experience. And then I might have to go off for another hike by myself. Um, and really like letting myself go into this um, almost feels like a dance of uh, you know, making sure that I have all of the boundaries and safety I need, which sometimes means being by myself in order to go and be available to really um, be with others. And, um, and just noticing how giving myself all the permission that I needed to take that space, there were times when I felt like, oh, I'm really feeling into this circle of people who are who, I, who do mirror my experience and who, you know, ultimately at the end of the weekend, I was like, if I could pick a tribe to belong to, I would, this is the one I would pick. These people are awesome. So great. So, um, yeah, so just like working the edge of where I can start to show up into a sense of belonging or home. And that's definitely been an edge that I've worked with being a part of the East Bay Meditation Center for the last 10 years and really, you know, finding how much um, I want to give to support that sangha and also receive from that sangha. And I think one of the challenges for me also can be sometimes I want to try to earn belonging by... Um, doing stuff for other people. And I am someone who's a leader in my work life, and I notice how much I'm like, if I just do a great job of supporting other people, then I'll feel like I belong. But it doesn't work that way. It's when you are the leader and you're the one holding space for others, there actually never really is a chance to be held in that space because you have to also be in a position where you can be receiving, or at least this has been my experience, where you can be 
receiving that holding, which means sometimes other people need to be doing it. You know, you, if you're always in that position of leadership, or at least this has been the case for me, um, you may be doing everything that's needed, but you're never going to end up receiving that until you can step back into the role of letting other people lead or hold space so that you can then receive that belonging. Um, so I just really, yeah, I've been, um, it's been such a gift to just have these spaces to be invited into to learn a bit more about how um, my actual practice of showing up into belonging works. Um, so, yeah, so I think that was, um, those are the things I wanted to share. And uh, Fresh, I'm going to turn over to you. Sort of glasses on, glasses off. <clears throat> Just so you know, I always have to say that. Uh, Renee, thank you so much for your share. It's beautiful. I, I don't think I knew everything. I knew <laughs> some of those things. <laughs> um, I wanted to start. Uh, let's see. Let's see where I should start. Yeah, some of your story reminded me of. Um, yeah, maybe I'll start with my story. Um, I think Rodney Dangerfield's place <laughs> is about a few blocks from where I lived when I was 18. Um, and I had uh, found my way into Chelsea. And it's just it was just north of 20, uh, 20th Street, 18th, 20th Street. I can't remember exactly. But... Um, and I, I'm I'm listening to I I feel like a little bit uh, between like this is an Elanon meeting, um, hearing your <laughs> share, <laughs> and uh, just about how I don't usually talk about being trans in a non you know when it's not part of um, a training. So um, thanks for encouraging that. Um, yeah, sorry. I had one place to start. Oh, yeah, I started taking notes. So generally, when I said I'm eccentric, I'm the person who sort of goes from here to there and then back here. But I'm figuring if Jack could do notes, I can do notes. So I'm trying to do notes, and, and I don't know if it's helping me or not. But So why don't I start where, where I said I would start instead of trying to go off the cuff. And where I wanted to start was talking a little bit about um, both belonging and um, intention. So my work, and the, first of all, I love this temple. It's absolutely gorgeous. And um, my life work is uh, to support people in really understanding the importance of their self-love, self-care, and self-compassion practices. There is nothing for me that's more important. This is the way that we actually can create the conditions that we want to do that we want to live, that we want to live in. And um, lately in my talks, I've been talking, you know, including Buddha or MLK or 
um, any of your heroes or heroines, if they were not committed to their own practices, um, we wouldn't be here. So whether their practice was to love, their practice was to compassion, nonviolence, um, but they had to take care of themselves and really honor their lives in order for us to even know their names. Uh, I'll start with, uh, and I end at like, uh, what time do I end? At five after? Okay, great. So I'm going to read a couple of things that um, it's been really fun for me, 2018. I've done, I did a lot of teaching last year, so I'm a little bit more comfortable bringing in my coaching side as well. Um, so there's some Dharma and coaching, and I'm so glad for how the Dharma has supported me in my work. So I'm going to do a little bit of reading because uh, I think this is important. We're still at the beginning of 2018. And uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama, released this message on New Year's. He said, it's important that we begin the new year, and I'm going to add some things, like it says, look forward. I'm going to, I'm going to um, redo the broken English. It's important that as we begin the new year, looking forward, says His Holiness, we should protect our intention ahead so that we make this year a meaningful one. When you look back, how would you think about the year that you have spent, asked His Holiness. Would you have a sense of contentment saying that I have lived that year well? I have served the purpose of that year? Or would you be looking back with a sense of regret for all the troubles you have caused? You know it's him with that kind of question. Make this year a meaningful one that you can turn back and look back with a sense of happiness and joy. If an individual were to, to, were to make conscious intention to live his or her life with a sense of purpose, live it in a good way, then the ripple effect that really spreads, and that the ripple effect of that really f- spreads. First from the individual. First from the individual. We start metta with us. We start the compassion practice with us. To the family, then to the community, and so on. This is how society gets changed and affected. When we talk about the transformation of society, the transformation really has to do with starting from the individual from the inside to outwards. The next one I want to read is from Titnat Han. This one's a couple of years back. The Buddha said that that said that this young man, and I may get his wrong name, say his name wrong, Mayatreya, would be the next Buddha on this earth. In Asian countries, on New Year Day, we celebrate the coming of the Buddha Maitreya, the Buddha of love. I think it must be true that the future Buddha is somewhere very ready to manifest to us. We have to prepare the ground for his or her appearance. I'm going to add there. His, her, or their appearance. I have the impression that maybe this time the Buddha will appear not as a person, but as a sangha, as a community. We have to be very open in order to be able to recognize the new Buddha whose name is love. Where does belonging begin? What is our intention around it? This is me talking now. That was uh, Titnat, huh? And if not first within ourselves, how can we be sustainable, authentic, and compassionate in service to others? Others who we need as much as we need them to wake ourselves up from a spiraling cycle of madness. 
I want to share about my January as much as I'd love to share about the mirror being born in the 60s and what that was like. Um, I loved hearing your story again. Um, so I was born in the 60s. I was, and so this is my January. Um, I spent it, as I was describing to someone earlier today, it was almost like having a veil over my eyes. This is how dark it was. I had body, feelings, memory of being orphaned as a child. By the time I was six, I had a major surgery that was followed by like, major spankings because it was supposed to end my peeing in bed. So there was that kind of abuse going on. And then by the time I was 10, my adopted mother was on her deathbed and she died as soon as I turned 11. And this, and this is all between January 26th and February 24th. So on February 15th is the anniversary of my dad's death. I'm sorry, on January 15th is the anniversary of my dad's death. On January 16th is my birthday. On January 19th is his birthday. And I could barely, um, it, it was amazing because of the, it's just starting to, I'm just beginning to see and um, and I wanted to talk about the what helped me get through, and it had everything to do with community. Um, I uh, started coming regularly to myself to EBMC, like I said in two thousand nine, and having had by that point already about forty four different addresses and almost as many positions and jobs. Um, I found a home there, and I found the Sangha there. Um, and it was through Sangha members that I had met, some there, some through CDL who live in different parts of the country, that I was able to come through, learn how to lean in. Um, with the abandonment issues that I grew up with, belonging was not something I necessarily thought about, but it was, you know, consciously, but, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't there. Uh, my experience was um, sort of running from house to house and home to home, um, staying with other family or eating, having other mothers make me meals um, when my parents weren't, or when my parents, when my mom died and my dad was vacant. Um, growing and and growing up in a very diverse Bronx, New York, in the '70s, where we grew up, where I grew up. It was very diverse, so I took on everything. I, I took Hebrew. I um, studied uh, more history because I had Irish friends. I had Italian friends. I had German friends. I knew a little bit of all the languages, and um, they. It was a it was a way. You know, as I look back as an adult, where I was taught to believe that the whole world was mine and I was part of the world. And for the most part, this is how I walk in the world. Um, like Renee, well, it doesn't matter. I go to a conference, I go to an event. When it's when there's time, I take off. I take off in time for myself. And then I can come back and be in the community. And um, I love the reframe that Renee offered because it's not about leaving. It's about um, right here is where my community is. This is everything I have to know that everything I need is within me. Um, and I have this amazing online community um, that 
always listens to me as well. And I'm, I, I know that sounds strange, but I've got a following on Facebook where I do talk about self-love, compassion. Every once in a while, I'm reminding people to breathe. Sometimes it's when I've lost my breath and sometimes when I have a sense or I know that people are distracted by things that aren't making them feel well. There is no one who isn't suffering. We live in this country where we've got this idea that, you know, we've been taught to be individualists. It's almost like having parents that purposely separate siblings. It's really, really harsh. And so it can make us, it can make it hard for us to just walk down the street and say hello. I always say New York City is like my favorite city because um, there where I grew up, people actually said things like, excuse me, out loud. It wasn't something to be ashamed of. Um, but there was a way that people connected. And um, without a doubt, um, there are anxieties about who is, lives next door and if I get too close to my neighbor, am I going to be able to get him out of my face? And um, how can I let my coworker know what I'm really thinking? In our waking up um, attempt, or I should say process, because this is it, right? Nobody wakes up. This is the process. We continue. This is our process for the rest of our lives if we choose this mission. In our process of waking up, it is our responsibility to do our best to push our edges. And so it's our internal edges. Where can I love myself more? Where do I need to forgive myself more? How can I be more compassionate with ourselves, with myself? And also to push our outside edges, to sometimes just raise our eyes and give a look to somebody who's walking by when we're in the park, when we're in the store. We don't have to engage in a conversation. We can practice saying, I can't talk right now. Um, but it's our responsibility to help others see that there's a possibility to, for connection. I was thinking about, um, you know, imagine living on the verge of losing, losing your home, losing your home, like constantly living on the on the edge, or on the verge, or being homeless. Let's see. Before I read all, of the, okay, I want to make sure. Sometimes I write stuff and then I want to change my mind. Um, I was thinking about, what I I wrote here is Africans, Latinx, and Jews, according to the Jewish Journal, are all on a list to lose schooling and or are, you know, living in this country of ours, right? We've got seniors and people with disabilities who um, have no place or feeling of belonging. And I kind of feel, again, like it's our responsibility, if only to ourselves to practice this loving kindness, to practice the mindfulness because it actually creates space for us to have empathy and compassion for others. So how about you? What is your story? How do you heal and forgive um, enough to let someone else in, to reconnect with the people around you. The one thing I want to say before I forget that I've been sharing is um, 
One thing I want to say about forgiveness, especially anything that you are carrying over from the last year, and I think I can still say this is still early enough, I want to invite you to let it go. And I'm inviting you, sorry, can you hear, sir? Oh, cool. I didn't know what was here. I'm inviting you to let go of that thing that you, like the breath that you inhaled a half hour ago or this morning or just now. You can't get it back. You can't change the past. So the more we practice the self-forgiveness, the easier it's going to be for us to move forward um, as loving and kind beings. So now let's do our triads um, so we can have time for questions. I'm going to ask you to get in the groups of threes. Do you all do that here? All right, great. So let's get into our groups of threes, please. Um, You've got uh, 30 seconds. Uh, You can uh, ideally, if you... Especially if you see somebody you don't know. And, and if you're shy and you don't want to share, but you can sit anywhere, anyway, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. you. You haven't figured it out yet? <laughs> uh, then I'll, ha- I'll have to let you know. Um, so what we're doing is one person is going to talk while the other people are simply going to sit in silence and, and listen. It's okay to nod, but we don't want to overexpress because we don't want to, we're not trying to mimic or mirror what that person might be experiencing. Um, and the person to go first is um, the person who, since we're in February, the person whose birth date is closest to February, and we'll go in that order. So go ahead and figure out Who's February? Who's March? Who's January? Okay. Okay. All right. Now that we figured that out, see, you need to know something about each other already. See how this works? All right. So here's the question. I don't know that we'll get to both of them, but I want to get to this first one. I'm going to tell you. Who keeps asking me questions? <laughs> to put my glasses on. So I'm going to try to do a double question. So we'll do three minutes each. That means we'll get through this in nine minutes. So I'll do a double question. I'll ask it each time so you remember. So here's the question for the first person. How does belonging or refuge show up in your life or practice? That's part A. Part B is... What is something you can begin now or this weekend to help you grow or expand your deepening relationship with yourself or other? Yeah? You got it? Uh, Three minutes. Beginning now. No, that's 30 seconds. Please thank the speaker for sharing. And we'll go over, we'll go to the next speaker. I'll read the questions again, which is, uh, let's see if I can remember, find it. No, it's not there. It's not there. How... You ready? How does belonging 
sorry, how does belonging or refuge show up in your life or practice? Part A. Part B, what is something you can begin this weekend or now to help grow or expand your deepening relationship with yourself or another? Three minutes. Oh no, that last one was only two minutes. Two minutes. I don't want to, I don't want to cheat anybody. Two minutes starting now. Thirty seconds. Okay, end of that round. It's amazing what you can share in two minutes, right? Okay, here we go. The last person in the group. Oh, thank the speaker, if you haven't. How does belonging or refuge show up in your practice? What is something you can begin this weekend or now to help grow and or expand your deepening relationship with yourself or another, and go. Yeah, isn't that great? So we've got about 10 minutes um, for any questions you might have to um, have. uh, Any questions? Questions, comments, wisdom, we're open to all of them. Really of nine minutes, because we have to do our dedication, so eight minutes. <laughs> if I keep talking, you know. Yes, please. Let's see. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, Hi, my name is Laura, and um, so belonging is really, um, it's a deep wound that I have, (laughs) and I think with the first, when I came here four weeks ago, the other teacher, another teacher was talking about belonging, and I just sobbed the whole time. Um, I really resonated with your story, Renee, and... uh, and I still, you know, I was at the LGBTQ at EBC MC last Saturday, and it was about intimacy with ourselves and others. And I just cried a lot, just such just deep longing, because I don't, I mean, you know, felt alienated from my family at school, but even in my own community, I still don't feel a sense of belonging. And um, and now my daughter recently left for college, and I just feel totally lost. Like, that was so much of my role for 18 years, and I belonged here kind of at school. Or, and so part of my coming to this song is looking for belonging. Yeah, thank you.
Thank you for your share. Did you say keep coming back? (laughs) Exactly. I agree. Hi, my name is Carol. And I was saying that um, I've been dealing with some pretty severe mental health issues for about three and a half years. And if you want a a quick path to feeling like you don't belong, try being mentally ill. I mean, it's it's uh, in itself pushes pushes people away, and there's such a stigma. Um, I have lost like half my friends through through this process, and um, have felt like I'm on Venus while everybody else is on is on Earth. Um, so I think that um, while while it's by its nature very painful, um, the, the inability of other people to, to deal with it um, and the stigma really, you know, push it over the edge. Um, and um, so that's, that's what I have to say. Thank you for sharing. Did you want to say something? Oh, yeah, this guy up here had a... Um, I was reading Martin Buber this past week um, where he talks about the Buddha. Um, Martin Buber is, of course, famous for I and thou, for, for the, uh, the spirituality is connecting to other individuals as human beings, as, as persons, as, as deeply you, not it. Um, and then he talks when he talks about the Buddha. He says, you know, clearly with the with the way the Buddha touched so many people, he really got that. He really managed to connect to people in a way that was really thou, was really it was really you. It wasn't just boxing people up, mm-hmm. I guess. But then Buber says, but the Buddha didn't teach that. He didn't teach the thouness and the the Buddha Dharma. Um, you know, I think is emerging. You know, maybe here in the West with Jack and with ICMB and with 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 uh, you know lots of lots of teachers in the West now, in a way that really becomes uh, you know allowing to perhaps uh, sp- spring Washam was 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 here a couple weeks ago, and was was like that also. Really, the passion or the the warmth and the personalness. And it's interesting to think about um, you know, the, the, the longing that we all have in our hearts for that connection that's not that's something warmer and more personal than simple loving kindness. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can wish happiness for anybody without knowing a thing about them or what happiness would mean. And, and there's not really a lot of talk in the suttas, I think, about and the, the only differences that are noted among people are, um, you know, some people are better at metta and some people are better at compassion and some people are better at breath. I mean, it's really kind of limited to a, to spiritual practice, dharma practice type of differences, but not kind of the whole huge, ridiculously crazy variety. I mean, LGBTQ uh, alphabet, but 
but even apart from that, just, you know, we each encounter flowers differently than other people do. You know, some of us, you know, there's just a huge variety. So anyway, I just, I think it's really interesting um, what's ha- what's emerging with what you guys are teaching tonight and with really what it's maybe happening in lots of different um, venues in different flavors and so on. Yeah, someone we we had someone um, we just had a conversation during the break with someone about um, the value in refuge, right? So, for example, the LGBT group, or a people of color group, or a trans group, or an African American group, or a Jewish group, or a woman's group, or a parent group. Being able to be with someone who has intimate experience with you and who you are actually helps us to take that loving kindness practice and not just say it, but experience it within ourselves. So it's not just about um, saying the phrases, but literally imagining treating ourselves with that, treating ourselves in that way at all times. Um, And I want to deepen, I just want to, that's my response to that. Um, I know for me personally, um, I feel something coming through that is not might not be written in the suttas, but it's what I'm experiencing. And it's about literally being present and fully aware and even, I dare say, in love with who I am in this moment at any time and being in love with the moment no matter what the moment is, even when it's hard. Um, yeah, I wanted to just geek out a little bit on this question <laughs> because I think it's an interesting one about whether it's in the suttas. Um, and I, there's a couple of places that I have found it. And one is um, in the Satipatthana Sutta, this, the direction around practicing internally, internal mindfulness, external mindfulness, and internal and external mindfulness. And I think it's that internal and external mindfulness piece that's really interesting. In, when you start thinking about how to practice in community. And I think we have a natural tendency to toggle. I'm focusing on myself. I'm focusing outwards. But this piece of, of, of learning the flow of doing both is, is a really interesting practice that gets... And then to potentially layer that with the heart practices. So I've been kind of like experimenting a little bit. What is it? What would it mean to do that internal, external, internal, and external with the heart practices? And um, actually mudita is a really interesting one to experiment with that with because it does does create a natural feedback loop um, of like, I'm experiencing joy, you know, at your joy, and then, you know, that... Um, that can feed back and then back and back in this kind of way that you almost like start to spiral up in. Um, and then I, uh, the Bhikkhu Bodhi also um, put a book out about a year ago around, particularly around communal practices um, from the teachings. I can't remember the title exactly, but it's something about communal something. And there's some really interesting um, texts in there um, around practicing in community that I think do get to some of these. So I think it's there. I don't think it's taught much 
here in the West, but I, my feeling is it's in the teachings. We just need to start drawing it out and sharing it and practicing with it. It's in the Vinaya maybe mostly, huh? I'm not sure. Instructions for the monastics. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for your question. So we'll do the dedication. For those of you, I know there are people who are new here, and I don't know how many people are new to the practice. Did um, Ernie already say what it was? So basically we're, um, we take the energy from our practice whatever we want to spare, and we'll be offering it up. Um, And I'll make a dedication to all beings. And then um, included, I have, um, I'll be adding uh, someone else's name. And um, I'm actually going to then offer a moment for anyone who didn't put a name in the box but may have someone that they want to dedicate the merit of their or our collective practice to. So... We'll begin. I'll just do one bell. So, may the merit of our practice support all people and all beings in understanding that they do belong. May they find community, love, and connection. May all beings be safe, feel loved, feel held, Be peace and live with ease. And this moment is for you to share your merit. Thank you for your attention and practice.